Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us on the line today from Lusaka, Zambia, is the Vice President of the Republic of Zambia, Mutale Nalumango, who is also the Vice President of Zambia's ruling party, the United Party for National Development. Welcome to the show, Vice President. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's a great honor and I am blessed to have this opportunity to speak to the people through you, Emilia. You know, it's always a privilege to host somebody like you who has lit the torch that lights the path for other women, particularly in Africa, to make their respective journeys possible. Vice President, your career has traversed several spheres of society, from education to politics. You've served as Minister of Information and Broadcasting, and now you're the Vice President of the Republic of Zambia. So starting with the political front, there are less than a handful of female presidents and vice presidents in the African continent. When did you realize that politics and serving your country would be such an integral part of your life? Thank you very much, Amelia. I can't answer that. It's very difficult for me to tell. When did I realize? Um, I think it it, it comes without me having fully planned, but realizing is when I felt the call upon my heart. You know, the call upon my heart was literally, to say the truth, was a call to justice. The injustice of humanity, not humanity, of humanity is what drove me, has driven me all the way, like you have said from a teacher you know, to a politician. Indeed, I thank God that I've had to run this race with the support of God Almighty and people around me. But to realize it's a daily thing. Every day I wake up, I realize I have a call of duty to ensure in my little space there is justice. But you know, justice is such a vast thing. It comes in so many ways. And it is because of that, like you have said, that after being a teacher, Let me tell you a little background. After being a proper villager, you understand real village life, walking without shoes, sleeping on a mat, or sometimes even a mat is better, on a sack. And I became a teacher. One of the injustices that I see is inequity, inequity in society. Basically, this was the basic injustice that drove me all the way. That as a teacher, I became a unionist because I thought something was wrong there. There should be some equity in the distribution of resources, whether it is in terms of wages or in others. So this is what drove me. And I'm not driven from outside. That's the problem. I'm driven from inside. So when people say, how did you come into politics? What drives you? I'm driven from within. I hate injustice. And I I call this a call upon my life. So this is what I realize and I realize throughout is not to know that I'll be this or I'll do this, is to realize that my duty is to fight injustice wherever I am. Whatever effort 
I should put in is to fight injustice, to have the world indeed a little fairer than it is. So this is what I know about myself. And this is how I've come this way and reaching this far. We can hear the passion in your voice. And when you're driven by such a strong internal motivator, being in the position that you're in now means that you can change and redress injustices for so many more people. Truly, truly, that is true. That is my passion even now. What can I do? When I was a minister, yes, I was minister of labor, and that is the ministry I loved most before I was minister of, uh, you know, information and broadcasting. I'm just saying the truth. I found that a little, you know, you are quarreling, you are talking this, and indeed you want people to speak, but what are they speaking about? But labor was so real. It fitted into what I wanted to see because it affected humans. As I sit here, it is my prayer that I can see change in terms of justice. This is why even after I left government, I still looked for a platform and I found UPND with their constitution, their manifesto. It suited me that in there, there is justice put in many different forms, including uniting people. Oh, it drives me. I want to see unity. It drove me. When I saw strengthening of institutions of governance in the programs of UPND, United Party for National Development, oh, I said, this is home. And therefore, I can say many things, but those are some of the things that I am looking forward to. Justice, justice, justice all the time. And justice means fighting poverty. It means women must have their space. That is what I feel and what drives me. What would you say are some of the targets that you want to achieve in the realm of justice, in the realm of reducing poverty, in the realm of uplifting women? Hi, I dream. But my dreams sometimes may not get the support that makes implementation as easy because I'm working in an environment where no single person is in control. So we have the collective, you know, vision, collective programs and plans. And therefore, I have to fit my little uh, into there. What I would want to see, number one, is indeed, like I've said, unity in the country. I am a strong believer also, I'm a Christian. And I believe that peace is the greatest ingredient to development. It is biblical because the Bible says, if there is war, you will turn instruments. If there is war, you will turn instruments of peace production into instruments of war. I am paraphrasing, meaning you can have things that you use like axes and holes to cultivate. That's the way the Bible puts it into spears and arrows. I think it, this speaks to me that where there is no peace, there is no production. And therefore, I would want to see a peaceful Zambia, number one, united Zambia. Under that, then I am looking for development. But again, development, Amelia, is so, so huge. What development? Just the ordinary, the improvement of the livelihoods of our Zambians. From the life I lived, 
to a better life, to uplift the livelihoods of our youths so that they are better prepared for the future. Oh, I don't want any youth to remain the way I was left by my parents. They must be better prepared. But we are there to give the enabling environment. So I would like to see employment created, poverty reduction. And literally, under my ministry, there is a, a, a division called resettlement. I am so passionate right now. I've done nothing but plan. And I am saying we need resources in there to settle people in the right places, to help them with the production so that we are both food and nutrition secure. We can have access to the very basics like energy so that we don't continue in our villages to be destructive to what God said tend. You know, God said tend the garden to Adam. We have failed to tend it. We have become destructive because maybe we don't have the right tools. So with water, I am working. I hear the minister of water and sanitation and we sit and I say, please go, go. Go give water to women. They don't have to walk long distances anymore. So that is something to change the livelihoods of individuals, individual households. That's development to me. Of course, I also like the big development. That means we need roads. We need all this. But I need a life changed at a household level in the villages, in the compounds of our people. And this government idea is working very hard to bring in resources, to free resources from somewhere and put it where it is needed most. These are some of the things that I would want a changed livelihood of our people. With that changed livelihood dynamic, one you're talking about putting in place fundamentals, looking at the individual and by each individual improving their respective lives, that in turn addresses the collective betterment of all citizens in society, which will lead to further development. That is that, because what is development if it does not affect the human life. What is development? Whatever we call development must be that which positively affects the livelihoods of people. That is development at the household level. So this is where we are working, but collectively we have many uh, dreams. Today we're talking to the Vice President of the Republic of Zambia, Mutale Nalumango. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Vice President, our program, Womanity, Women in Unity, is all about gender equality. And naturally, our conversation will highlight some important issues on this topic. Women occupying positions in government and serving as heads of state is significant for a number of reasons, whether that's about demonstrating the power of women in governance, that showcasing these women in their respective positions, they serve as role models for other women. Thirdly, gender representation is important in policy development as well as policy implementation. As a female leader, please, can you share some of your perspectives on the subject? It is critically important that we look at gender equity 
it is very, very important. You know what I think of a woman? And I like your program. You say humanity. I would like to say this indeed humanity is a man with an extra. That's what I say myself. We are extra. And therefore we carry humanity. And developing a woman is developing the world. I think people have many sayings around this issue. And anybody who is playing with failure to be inclusive for women does not truly have love for humanity. Because as women, we carry humanity. And therefore, when we are given an opportunity to be in these positions you are talking about, we should use every effort to improve to help, to bring in more women on board. Women are different. You know, I read somewhere, a woman is a different type of a leader. He is a shepherd, and I believe it. The shepherd goes before the sheep. We feel every bit of society. We feel every bit of human being. We feel for the man. We feel for the woman. We feel for the children. We feel for the youth. And therefore, this issue, the SDG number five, must be taken extremely seriously by this generation. Somebody made an analysis that in this COVID-19 era, nations that are led by women did far much better. So to occupy this, a position like this one I'm occupying must be taken seriously. Let us work together like your program says, humanity, all women must come together to be role models when we are in these positions that others would be able to say, I can do it. She did it. We are doing it because there were people who went before us. Those that were foot finders against all odds, they fought and they reached there. So we need, when we are given this opportunity, to really work hard and encourage other people to know that the sky is the limit. Vice President, you've shared the realities. And I think the one example that I'm going to pull out from what you've said was the fact that female-led nations were the ones that performed better, were the ones which managed the health of their nations during the COVID-19 era. What more proof could we have than that as being testament to the success of female leadership? But what do you think is required to build more female leadership, to get more women to the top? Well, a number of things. To start with, I think we need, for us who are here, to build confidence in women. I tell people, as I sit here, it's not because I know it all. And we must tell women that you don't have to compete with the men. You have your role, which a man will not do. We have our own style, our own thinking, and the women must know that they should arise. It's not easy. We have many obstacles to overcome as women. Many, if you ask me, Amelia, I tell you it will be a miserable interview. But against that, women must rise themselves. I have said all the time that men will not give us space. So it's us women to fight for this space. Our colleagues, men, are comfortable where they are. And sometimes we make them insecure. We are not there to take over from them. They should be comfortable. Colleagues, men everywhere, 
many politicians, many professionals, corporate world, we are saying, let women get involved because you can never think like women. When they come on board, we bring on board the other part. So we are not fighting to bring men, but women don't think that men will leave the space because they're comfortable. It's us who need to go there. And therefore, women must be encouraged in so many ways to overcome many things like I've said, including religion, traditional beliefs, and so on, and rise to the occasion. If in Alumango, you can see me as ordinary as I am, today I can be vice president. You can be the president tomorrow. You can climb higher. Have we had a woman, you any secretary general? We should be looking for one. We want the, the women when they lead, they lead with passion. They lead with conviction. And that's why we need them. Because women are there. They feel everything, like I've said before. So it is up to us women. When women say they fight one another, why should I fight you? We should not listen to that. We should encourage one another and go on. And things will be done. So we need to encourage the women. We need to be role models. We need to work hard. After all, people say we have to work three times more than men to reach certain positions. Let us encourage women. We are the ones who nurture our children. Let us stop nurturing them in the negative. Those are some very uplifting statements. Thinking about the view of empowering a woman. The world over, we know that education is a skill as well as a resource which contributes to women's empowerment, and not just for themselves, but also for the betterment of the lives of their families, whether it's from increased earnings to improving the health and well-being. You began your career in the education system as a teacher and then moved into the political space. Can you share with us some of your views on education? particularly as a tool in the hands of women to change their lives as well as their children's? Amelia, where do you think I would be? I've given you a little bit of my background without education. I would be in that village. I would probably still be sleeping on a reed mat. So education is extremely important for me as a person, for my government, my president, I can tell you about Zambia. We believe that education is the greatest equalizer. Uh, I tell people my story. Like when I was growing up, there was Kaunda. Kaunda was like, God, like you can never ever be near Kaunda. But Kaunda did one thing. He gave us free education in this country because from where I come from, I would not have made it into where I am. But there was that free education. And because of that, I tell people, I was telling Panji, Panji is the firstborn of President Kaunda. And recently we were together, I was saying, oh, finally you, the son of the president, I can sit with you and you probably stand for me. Can you imagine how sweet therefore education is? It is extremely empowering, greatest equalizer. Yes, Somebody said, if you say education is too expensive, try ignorance. Because today, like you have said, Amelia, doctor, what you have said is so true. Same food given to a mother who has gone to school and a mother who has not gone to school. 
the difference will be seen in the way they look after their children, in the way they feed, because of that little extra. Just that education makes a lot of change, change in the perception of things. Education is extremely empowering. You are talking of looking, looking after children because you don't understand certain things. You may expose even your children to more disease. And if there is more disease, then the hospitals, health system gets overwhelmed and the children suffer. Why not spend on education? There is just so much in education. And I'll tell you, training as a teacher, doctor, is one of the best things I've never regretted. I taught 27, 25 years. Wow. You must have some incredible stories, success stories oh. of children. Oh, yeah. That is uh, the best thing. When you see children and children prosper. Children, you know, I, I think as a teacher, we are crazy sometimes. Eh? Because I remember my time, I would go to, you know, the, the selection results have come. I have a child, my own, and I ran to look at how my class has performed. Have they done very well? That is when I'm excited. So many have crossed and they are going. Oh, they are going to grade 10. Oh, they have passed. They go to the university. It just is so fulfilling because you see this human being develop from what you found them to what they become. That is the greatest success. Of course, children will always be there, doctor. And I also wonder from an educator's point of view, especially hearing what you've said, that there is that maternal instinct that it's not just your own children, but it's your children as the students that you feel responsible for them as, in a way, an extension of family. Indeed. Indeed. I will definitely take away from this conversation your statement of education being an equalizer. We're talking to the Vice President of the Republic of Zambia, Mutale Nalumango. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Vice President, we alluded to the Sustainable Development Goal number five from the United mm -hmm. Nations, which is all about gender equality. And some of those targets include ending all forms of discrimination against women and girls, recognizing the value of both unpaid and domestic work, and ensuring that women fully and effectively participate and have equal opportunities for leadership across all decision-making, whether it is in the political space, economic space, and in general public life. How do you think... Africa, Zambia in particular, is progressing with this agenda? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Africa, I think there really, we all desire to progress, but there are many impediments, like you have said, that are making us fail to make the progress that we would want. Speaking for Zambia, especially in political leadership, we go up, we come down, we have not made real, you know, progress that we desire. Even though we want, there are too many things along the way. The impediments you are talking about, for example, the unpaid domestic work. We are born as volunteers. We are the people that is, <laughs> we want to be home and look after everybody. That is an instinct that uh, 
maybe we need to fight. I'm thinking, well, maybe we need to know the father of the children is also responsible. But you know, some of these things, it's not because they have been said, we feel them. You can't see it to imagine your child is away. We have, that's why we keep fighting for, for example, for feeding spaces at our workplaces. This is why we fight for those. They are part of bringing opportunity to a woman to continue because we volunteer to be the ones to look after the family. So we fail to go on. And therefore the men are still enjoying their space. They have nothing to worry about. And yet they don't know they are missing out on that component we talked about of the feeling of a woman, whether it's in the development agenda, like we are talking of UNSPG, we need the women, but we are not sincerely, we are not making enough progress. Yes, there are countries, including South Africa, which have done very well. I think Rwanda is one of those, the very first that have done very well. Even Namibia is doing well. So maybe I should not said that the entire Africa is not doing well. Let us remember that we are making little progress. Maybe that is what I should say, because we have had even African presidents on the political scene. In the corporate world, we are also doing quite well, giving Zambia as an example. We have only had a female vice president in the last five years. And now I am the second female vice president president, only the second, and we are 51, 58, 57 years old as a nation. So we haven't done well as Zambia. The region is trying, but there are others where it is worse. Look at Mali. You know, in some places, a woman is still just something. For us, by law, generally, you are. it is open. But those other impediments, tradition, culture, beliefs, religion, where they tell you a woman must be submissive. And some think when the Bible says a woman should be submissive to her own husband, then they say to all men. It is not to all men. Me, I'm only submissive to my own husband. The rest are colleagues. But those are things that make us fail to make progress. There is little progress. Let us move together as women. How do we address that conflict, that tension and overcome these traditional expectations? Because as you say, there's culture, there's uh, social structures, there's religion that sometimes holds us back. How do we overcome that? Yeah. One, we have talked about role modeling, those that have overcome and people must speak, they should speak out. But also the empowerment, we have talked about empowerment for women. Like in Zambia, when we give you free education, we are thinking that there is interaction and they are picking something. But also society has just come up to try and empower women, deliberate programs to empower women, to sensitize women. And, you know, one important person we should bring on this agenda is the male folk who is actually a beneficiary of a woman's participation, whether it is in the economy. You remember the issues you talked about, that when a woman comes in, she brings an income. The man is also a beneficiary. So let us talk about the benefits that men get, including the issue that a woman who is educated will do better in terms of helping the family in health, in other things. We need to bring the male on board because I think they are the most 
scared. Sometimes I say they pretend to be strong, but I think uh, I don't want to use this word here for today. But they must be brought on board to realize that there's no competition. The religion is very good, but especially Christianity in my country, it does not bar a woman from participating. The cultural norms, sometimes we are the perpetuators as women of the same things. Like I said earlier, we are the ones who nurture children more than the men. Why are we training them that as a girl, as a girl, as a girl, what is as a girl? This girl is beyond just being human. She is a woman, a man with an extra. And to continue to believe that women, even in class, their performance must be lower. No. In fact, now you are seeing that the girls are doing so, so well. So let us leverage on what is going on to continue to encourage our women, to support them in the school system. Remember, if they fail in the school system, all the simple things like ads, making them uncomfortable and fail to go to school, we will not make it. But let us continue to encourage them from the school, you know, system so that they can continue. Let us empower them economically, because that is another issue. I have always said we don't, as women, politically where I, where I am, it is not easy for a woman to network while the men go to the men's clubs. Us, if I'm found somewhere, they call me some name. And it is the men who have more resources. So I need to interact with them so that I can also be empowered. But if you are found with men, maybe there it's okay. But here, uh -uh, then people start saying, what is she doing? We should overcome all these things and stand. So we should, you know, listening to the negative voice that we are women, we can't do it. So we need to deliberately as women, tell women and girls that we can do it. So let us continue to encourage ourselves to motivate our young people. They can do it. I wished it was a video because I could say, look at me. I have no extra hairs, no extra what. I am here. Go there, brilliant as you are. You can make it. Just know what is your core on your life. What is it that you need to do? Do it with passion and with all your heart. Hearing what you're saying, this is about changing the narrative, developing more confidence in women, demonstrating right. to men that we can provide an, an economic contribution oh, that's yes. going to help you yes. too. They are beneficiary. And developing our networking capabilities as women and being able to access more of that resource pie so that we can show and, and demonstrate meaningful contribution. Mm -hmm. Vice President, as an important learning curve for all of our listeners um, throughout the eight years of doing this radio show, I ask all our guests who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise about the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. Some people speak about the role that their mothers played in, in shaping their views. Others talk about hard work that they put in with two words that keep reoccurring, being discipline, perseverance. In your opinion, please, can you tell us what would you say have been the key drivers to your success? 
everything you have mentioned <laughs> earlier, literally everything. Yes, like I said, my own upbringing helped me to know that we can do better. Yes, I didn't miss things because I didn't know them. But as I got exposed, I saw that there is an opportunity to be better. Yes. But more, I'll talk about two things. One, yes, God has helped me, believe you me, because he's the one who put the call. And for me, even whatever I do, if you came and visited me, you'll say, is this the vice president? Because for me, my call is service for mankind to the glory of the living God. And because God has taught me, this is in the saving part, in the service to man. God has told me that I was not created just to be for food and drink. I am created for good works. So I stand on the principles of God and the one who could tell me to leave my comfort zone. When I say comfort, teaching was comfort. Nobody shouted at me. Nobody insulted me. I didn't even know I was ugly until I became a politician when people called me all sorts of names. But I had to step out because God did help me. But in my character shaping, my mother is so critically important. That woman, that woman was so strong in the village. You know, Emily, I could have married at 14. I could have married at 15. In this poor woman, my mother was a widow. So I grew up without a biological father, without even a stepfather for that matter. My mother chose to bring us up and refused to marry us off. And taught us such principles that up to now, I think maybe she was a little crazy. You don't pick even a coin because she will say the one who dropped it will come and pick it. Never steal. And every person in our home was important. Whoever visited and she looked at us and she would say, oh, oh did you look down on that person? I saw your toys doing this. I don't know what she saw in our toys. And sometimes you get a weeping for that. She taught us to respect people, humans. So I, I, I picked so much at that moment, I would say, I didn't even know I was being shaped into the person that I am today. So I learned to save because my mother felt she was a princess herself, eh? born out of a royal family. Her father was a chief. Of course, the father died. She was no longer royal. She lived a poor life after my father died, but she still taught us integrity. So she is one that has helped me, shape me today. She has not seen me as a politician. She's long gone. I don't know what she's saying if they talk where she is. But God guides me every day in the principles of leadership and gives me encouragement. That's why I said all encouragement comes from within. I hardly look around to see what the other person do. I will look to them to learn but not to compete because of what I need to do. And I want to do it and I need to do it. That's why I fought the previous government like mad because I thought they were taking us the wrong way. What an incredible driver and the values that you've inherited from your mom are, are really echoed in your ambitions for the country, whether this is about establishing unity, driving through on being a peaceful nation and having those, I would say, the, the soft skills component to build upon. I came across a quote attributed to you where you stated, challenges facing women 
are the same in many parts of the world. The key is to unite as a force against all sorts of gender injustices. So as we close out our conversation today, please, can you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to women in Africa who are listening to the show? Wow, unity, indeed. Thank you for reminding me of that. I can't remember. But that is very important that we need to unite as women and fight collectively. We don't have to fight physically, but it is fighting all these things that draw us backwards. We have to challenge those things that draw us backwards. When we know they actually have no impact, a positive impact on our lives. So as women, we need really to remain focused, to know ourselves. I'll repeat that it is for the women to know and feel important. I'll say one thing I said, don't carry your womanhood like it makes you an inferior person. Womanhood actually makes you a superior person. Nobody should intimidate you. Nobody should use you as a tool. You are complete. Make your own choices. Don't let your choices depend on other people. We are equally made by God. And we have the capability. Girl, rise up wherever you are. The presenter said, the sky is the limit. You can break the glass in your own space and make it in corporate, in political, in administration. Everything is open for us in Africa. Let us move and fight the injustice that discriminates against us. God made us equal. Thank you very much for that wonderful message. And you are absolutely living proof of that sentiment. Thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your time with our listeners. Thank you very much, all those that are listening. I feel grateful. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and we have been talking to the Vice President of the Republic of Zambia, Mutale Nalumango.